It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is Time Enough Podcast. Hey, it's the Time Enough podcast where we look at episodes of the Twilight Zone and beyond. This is Matt here. With me today is Mark Palmer from the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Hello, Mark. Hello. How are you? Thanks for having me back. I guess I'll throw my um, throw your question back at you and see if, if, if your family thinks you're in the Twilight Zone. They think you're crazy. <laughs> they think you're in the Twilight Zone. Yeah, I would say so, judging by the reactions or the interest uh, from Thanksgiving this year. Basically, a range of mildly disinterested to uh, really superficially curious. So, you know, <laughs> that judging by that, they're just, I think, afraid to get into maybe some potentially uh, racy or, or offensive conversations. And that's what they associate with conspiracy theory, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we don't, yeah, they do... still think I'm crazy. There we go. <laughs> um, we don't do Thanksgiving in the twilight zone. We probably have Thanksgiving in the twilight zone. Uh, Japan doesn't do it. I, I work on, I work on Thanksgiving. I work on Christmas. Uh, yeah, it's kind of new year's. It's the big thing here, but People, I guess, sit around respectfully, don't trade their opinions in Japan. That's just, uh, I guess, how people tend to roll sometimes. But uh, interestingly, people never hug. I don't, I don't hug family, but I'm like, I'm not a hugger anyway, so it kind of works for me. <laughs> I hear that. Yeah, I'm very tall, so I've had many uh, awkward hugs in my life, uh, but I enjoy them. Recently, not too recently, but once I... Uh, I hugged someone who pointed out that usually people hug, you know, just like uh, ordinarily with their um, like right arms oriented. And he, he told me to use your left arm, meaning, you know, your left side touches their left side. Uh, and that's supposed to be like a heart to heart hug. So I do think there's some really spiritual qualities to something like that with a, a loved one, you know, connecting with them uh, in their heart center. Yeah, that's true. I'm, I'm wondering, I'm left-handed. If I do go in for a hug, do I go in that way? <laughs> Maybe. Um, getting into today's subject matter, it is an episode called uh, Perchance to Dream. Nice poetic title. I guess it's uh, Shakespeare, whatever. Uh, <laughs> but I'm going to quickly run through some of the, uh, the trivia on this one just for a moment, if you'll indulge me. Uh, this is the first episode that was not written by Rod Serling. He wrote like 75% of these things, but uh, there's a few he didn't. Uh, this is Charles Beaumont who gets the credit for that, and he would write several pretty iconic episodes of this series. The director, Robert Flory, was born in Paris and immigrated to the U.S. at age 21 in 1921. An A-list B-movie director. A-list, okay, sure. <laughs> he held many features from Audible Studios, including the Marx Brothers debut film, The Coconuts, as well as the German expressionist-influenced murders in the rue morgue he'll direct two more episodes of the twilight zone uh richard conti plays our dream troubled edward haw 
He started out as a character actor, but ended up starring in many B features, especially those in the crime genre. John Larch is Dr. Elliot Rathman. In the 1950s, he often found himself in Westerns, but later on nabbed credits, including two more appearances on The Twilight Zone, as well as iconic shows like Mission Impossible and Hawaii Five-0. We should not forget that he also played the police chief in the first two Dirty Harry films. Suzanne Lloyd truly is Maya, but this is her only visit to the Twilight Zone. She did rack up a notable number of appearances in other shows such as Gunsmoke, Bonanza, Have Gun Will Travel, and The Avengers. Okay, I got to the end of that list. Um, so, Mark, I'm, I'm going to have you kind of get us in by reading the uh, prologue. Um, you can, you know, some people do the Rod Serling impression. Uh, some people do like Southern Mad Men or you know, goofy. So however you want to run it is fine. It's funny you asked me that because I did notice when, because I have the DVD set of all of the seasons and they do like these little, at the end of the episode, you know, Rod will come on and preview the next episode. And he has this way of uh, moving his mouth that I noticed was interesting. Kind of like, like pulls his lips close to his teeth. I noticed when he says certain words. So I just naturally tried to like mimic it. So here we go. I'll butcher it. All right. 12 o'clock noon, an ordinary scene, an ordinary city. Lunchtime for thousands of ordinary people. To most of them, this hour will be a rest, a pleasant break in a day's routine. To most, but not all, to Edward Hall, time is an enemy. And the hour to come is a matter of life and death. That works for me. You do a lot of book readings anyway. You're, you're, you're into this, right? <laughs> um, so actually, uh, the directors that would do Rod's segments would get annoyed because he would talk through one side of his mouth, through his teeth. And um, the cigarette that he never smokes is just because he heard, you know, you're less nervous if you're holding something while you act. <laughs> ah, so he's not actually even smoking. He's just holding it as a prop. Exactly. I mean, he did smoke. <laughs> Plenty, I believe. But, you know, he wasn't smoking while doing his narration. It was just there to um, help him be a little less nervous. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I think I do the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, um, I've been on before. It's um, the, the Arrowhead site. You know, you go and you start reading people's insane um, Datura stories, right? <laughs> oh. And, uh, the, <laughs> yeah. the, the thing you find in there is that a lot of these people they keep smoking like fake cigarettes like that seems to be like endemic to like the uh to datra or something something about that particular spirit makes you want to smoke fake cigarettes i guess i don't know <laughs> yeah very interesting i wouldn't doubt it i've heard some weird things about that plant in particular <laughs> well I, you know like the thing is, you, you have teenagers just picking it off the street and ending up in, you know, the hospital or jail. Right. But uh, I, I heard there were certain tribes that would just, you know, as the coming of age ceremony, they give you a handful and send you out into the wilderness and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, no, there's definitely ritual use of it for sure. I don't know all the details, but it definitely belongs in the twilight zone. I, if maybe it, if, uh, you know, Rod had come across Michael Harner's book or something, The Way of the Shaman back then. He might have wrote it into a script. But yeah, I, there's not much uh, mention of drugs in the Twilight Zone. I, I mean, I haven't seen every episode, but I, not many come 
to mind for like a, a episode surrounding drug use. Am I wrong there? I think you're right. Cause I think um, there needs to be like a level of, um, and I'm not going to say quite sanity, but I guess more level headedness, you know, a person like entering the twilight zone sort of needs to like realize something's wrong and not just be tripping out, I guess. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So, that would you know, be too much of an easy like uh, explanation for all things weird. It's like uh, not a very smart plot device, basically. <laughs> One of my favorite movies is uh, Roger Corman's The Trip, which, you know, it has a bit of a Twilight Zone vibe. That's a Peter Fonda, Dennis Hopper. It's um, yeah, if you do want to get conspiratorial, it's got like the whole crew there. But uh, it's, it's a fun movie to watch. <laughs> but uh, right on. That one, you know, it, it has, you know, th- this uh, sort of thing, but it's Peter Fonda actually hallucinating and things. So you're like, of course, that's not like a Twilight Zone thing. That's Peter Fonda tripping, <laughs> who probably right. was on the set when you get right down to it. But, um, you know, our people in the Twilight Zone are a lot more, I guess, straight laced. So, you know, this that's being- the impression I got for sure. It seemed like, uh, you know, there were people, there are characters in the show itself that, and I watched a couple episodes this week, not just per chance to dream, but there were a couple episodes who had the appearance of like a sort of someone who saw something, I guess you could say. And like they would hint at like the other world in their mind, but no explicit like, well, he smoked this or he drank that or, you know, th- that was never a part of it. Like it's kind of like the, I guess, first subver- subversion of the uh, stereotype. 50s uh sort of stuff you know mm. you got the guy i mean they are drinking like plenty of scotch and stuff in these but uh we i did an episode judgment night um which i guess airs after this but you know the guy just he knows that this boat's going to get sunk every night he has to relive it because he sunk the boat basically but um you know his his re- solution is like well at 215 i know something's going to happen so i'm going to just go to the bar and get smashed which honestly seems like a rational thing to do if you know you're on a doomed ship so (laughs) right right and there was one episode that i watched that took place for most of the episode in a bar this episode we're talking about kind of took place in this guy's mind but you get the idea of like a a nightlife and like the dangers of like going out and with this dream he had but i don't want to give anything away too soon yeah, I, honestly, you can spoil wherever you want. Uh, <laughs> okay. I, I think I think people coming in have probably seen it at some point, and you know maybe cool. pre- watched it before listening to this. I I don't know. Um, something that kind of struck me is it seemed like kind of an early version of you know Nightmare on Elm Street with Maya being our our Freddy because <laughs> he's interesting. Um, the whole thing we, I, I did a podcast on Nightmare on Elm Street a few months ago, where he had read a yeah. story from uh, some somewhere in Southeast Asia, I think, or or Southeast, I think it was like Laotian immigrants or something. Anyway, the point is, like, the son had this thing where he thought if he fell asleep, he would die, which actually turned out to happen. <laughs> but uh, when they went to his room, you know, cleaning up his stuff, they found he had a stowed away a coffee machine like hidden a coffee machine in his room which you also see in nightmare on elm street so um but the oh. idea your dreams are out to kill you and there's an entity in the dreams out to kill you i think you know this seems like a nice earlier iteration of that right yeah i definitely i had not heard that but i also don't really watch a lot of horror movies so i've never seen the nightmare on elm street but the concept of like a you know, a dream entity is something that's definitely 
strange and and it, it was a little unsettling in this you know show because like you said with this laotian person this guy dies at the end of the episode you know it's in his dream he jumps out a, a window but in reality the psychiatrist is sitting there and watches him go to sleep and then realizes that he isn't waking up you know and his heart he's got no heart rate right and that roll credits but it's definitely it's definitely interesting the the bigger theme i picked up on is like this authority of like he was told by the doctor that he had a heart condition and then you see that manifest in his dreams as a nightmare and you even see this like character maya like i mean i i don't mean to uh like go against what you're saying but it really was kind of comical like that wasn't a nightmare to me like they he took she took him to a, a like an amusement park and then he was like oh no the excitement i'm gonna die from the excitement <laughs> and like it just sounds so silly now with our modern you know context but i'm sure it maybe had a more serious uh context back then especially maybe because amusement parks were uh probably taken a little more seriously i mean I'm sure you've seen that. Uh, what is it? Danger Park or whatever that is uh, on uh, Netflix or YouTube. It's like all about the <laughs> about this one amusement park that has all these lawsuits or or whatever because <laughs> of people that have actually gotten hurt. So there's a reason to fear amusement parks. But this guy, he really had like, in my opinion, um, what seemed like like a almost like a placebo effect going on where the doctor had given him this like uh you know this prescription of like your heart is such and such so you can't do this and that and then that manifested in this extreme anxiety which then bled into his dreams right and then he's going all these exciting things are are happening to him in this dream and he recognizes like oh no this isn't going to be good for me and in like a siren kind of way Maya, which, you know, the word Maya in some circles also means illusion. Um, Maya comes and kind of beckons him uh, to get on this roller coaster ride, you know, and I kind of see that as like the the roller coaster or the rat race of life. Right. And and she's like the the uh, sexual uh, passion or lust, like pulling him into the material realm on a really, really meta level. But then on that sort of less meta level, it seemed like, like, yeah, like a placebo induced hypochondria to excitement. Like he, he was just so uh, such a nervous wreck because of what this doctor told him would happen to him. Meanwhile, you know, he's smoking cigarettes and and I'm sure drinking scotch because it seems like alcohol is very prevalent in a lot of shows in that era, not just the Twilight Zone. But uh, but yeah, it just uh, caused a tremendous amount of worry in a lot of people. I mean, I see it in my own family members as part of why they think I'm crazy because I'm always like, oh, well, do you really, you know, why do you trust your doctor? You know, it's not that I don't think they should, but I just want them to question it, you know, and that was a theme in this episode where, you know, the doctor said like, you know, pretty much condemned him to that state. Honestly, I mean, I don't, would he have died if he didn't put all that mental pressure on himself? Uh, it's just a TV show. So I know, uh, you know, it's not that thorough of a thought experiment, but I think that's what they were kind of hinting at. 
I got a friend. Um, he's from uh, Australia, and he talks about the idea of an Aboriginal society. The, um, you know, the the pointing the bone, sort of the uh, the shaman or whatever. I I don't know if shaman's quite the right word in this case, but um, you know, like they point the bone at someone, and that like signifies like impending death or whatever. So when you're part of that society, yes, that you. In your mind, you know, oh, in six weeks, I'm going to die, right? Like, like we might get a diagnosis about that, you know? Like, you're going to die of this or that within six weeks. And, and then you do. You've basically had the boing, the boing pointing at you. Bone pointed at you. <laughs> like to alliterate my words sometimes. <laughs> Trans. I never, I never heard that um, right or ritual before the bone. That's interesting. The bone pointing. Well, it's like a curse thing. I mean, you could take yeah. other societies where it might, uh, you know, like. Yeah, it's like a hex. <clears throat> right, exactly. So the thing is, if you're not part of that society, then the hex doesn't really have power over you because you would just be like, why are you pointing a bone at me? You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, in a way, the doctor's authority does have a, a power in like that kind of mindset especially in the 50s when all this medicine was billed as like new revolutionary we're in the future you know and they have all these things like fluoride and lithium and you know crazy stuff going into our bodies not that any of those things in and of themselves are are bad in the right uh dosages or you know maybe we shouldn't have them at all again maybe that's a separate podcast but it was it was a time when you know, chemicals became mainstream in a, in a different way, in an industrialized way. You know, we saw that happen in the 1950s. So the, the Twilight Zone is kind of a, a time capsule for that era. Uh, I wish the commercials were still on uh, all of the episodes. There's only a couple. I noticed like season two and three in this box set that I have. They did something wrong with the cutting and some of the commercials made their way into the show. I, I, I'm forgetting which season this is, but either way. And it's so cool to see that because it's like, again, it's like a time capsule to what, you know, people were buying and putting in their homes back then. It's a lot of toxic stuff, you know? And uh, yeah, with that being said, I'm sure there was plenty of things that led to uh, people, you know, dropping dead in those days. And a lot of it, you know, kind of, uh, in my mind, is self-induced, you know, with this kind of mental, um, mental, um, severity that we place on our health and, and giving that power over to an authority to determine whether or not we're healthy. Yeah. Um, where was I head with that? Yeah. I, I think, I don't know if it was in this episode cause he, he went to sleep too fast, I think, but, uh, there are a lot of these episodes where, you know, the doctors are just like, handing out cigarettes, you know, <laughs> here, this will make you feel better. I mean, this is when those commercials you're talking about would have, you know, like eight out of 10 doctors, um, uh, you know, suggest you smoke Chesterfields or something. Right. <laughs> I mean, well, and it was almost now, now that I think about it, it was almost like an inception, uh, kind of thing too, where he woke up in a dream and then he was in that office again. You know what I mean? Like hit, the dream was within a dream almost. And then when, it's only when you kill him, when he like jumps out the window that you realize like that he, he didn't kill himself. He just died in his dream, you know, but I, I found that kind of interesting. It was almost like 
what we would call an inception now, thanks to that movie. But, you know, the concept has existed in sci-fi, you know, uh, the potential of something happening, uh, you know, in your dream that can cause an actual death. And I think that's not by accident. That's not just a, a work of fiction. That's very much inspired by like some shamanic and occult stuff. I mean, one thing that I learned about when listening, I think it was the mysterious universe podcast, but they were talking about Carlos Castaneda and some of the stuff that Castaneda uh, was participating in uh, when he was like sort of more of a cult leader. And it, they talked about going out of their body and manifesting in someone else's dreams in order to, you know, have control over their, over their being somehow. And I even, I think I've even heard similar stories associated with, um, is it Marilyn Manson, right? The, uh, the pop singer guy who recently got in some trouble with, uh, I don't want to call him a pop singer. I guess he's more of a heavy metal guy, or at least he used to be. But yeah, he got in some trouble for like domestic abuse, you know, but I think there is a reality to that, that there's possibly some sort of, based on this story that I heard, I think the guy's name was Gary, Gary Wayne, and it's it's a different Gary Wayne. I'm not sure if it's the same Gary Wayne that recently I booked on Tinfall Hat. It's a different guy. Uh, I got to go back. I'll send you, maybe we'll correct this and I'll give you a link in the episode description when I go back and look it up. But either way, they had this really interesting story about this guy who had to save a woman who was within the like psychological reach of Marilyn Manson. Uh, and she kept, he kept appearing in her dreams and kind of haunting her basically and trying to get control her life and get her to come back to you know, where she was when she lived with them. So I don't, I, you know, I definitely don't think that the show Twilight Zone is, you know, crafting all of these ideas. I think they do a really, really elegant job of framing these concepts into the 1950s life's, you know, scope at the time, you know, and it would be, you know, for people who maybe are listening to this show somehow and haven't seen the Twilight Zone before, it's kind of like what Black Mirror is doing now. Black Mirror is kind of taking that role of like a really compelling show like The Twilight Zone was like a thought provoking kind of, you know, and, and I've never that's that's never appeal, appealed to me for some reason, for whatever reason. Like I watched Black Mirror and I was like, yeah, no, The Twilight Zone's better. So I'm happy to to be here looking into this, you know, as uh, to the best of my ability. But yeah and the guy also the actor looked like robert de niro that's another thing that i noticed he kind of had like a robert de niro kind of look-alike vibe going i was just thinking oh for age 30 because they call him age 35 i'm like he's not looking so well he has a heart condition i guess but <laughs> he's not looking so good for age 35 <laughs> the, the ages in this in these shows too is weird like a lot of times they'll they'll say like a guy is like 18 or 19 or 25 and he looks like he's like 50, you know, or like that, you know, in the reverse where they look a little younger, a little older, you know, but the, the I think it's the episode after that. I don't know if you covered this one already, but it, it's the one called What You Need, right? Oh, I've, I've recently watched it, but I have not done my episode for that yet. That one had a similar looking character, much more um, malevolent. 
but yeah and i just it just strikes me as like an archetype in this time the kind of like dark eyebrowed like brooding almost balding uh man character like this guy who's like on the brink of a revelation or like on the brink of collapse in his life you know like this kind of midlife crisis archetype that they kind of play on and and it takes a whole different spin in that episode but but yeah definitely the twilight zone brings a lot of uh a lot of concepts to mind i don't think it it's by any means dated i think people in this era can watch it and find a lot of uh a lot of parallels you know like the whole health thing going on this episode touches on that a little bit i do want to get more into the the dreams i was thinking about the inception stuff and um Mm. I actually I had I had a interesting dream of a few weeks ago actually where it was two layers and the first layer was not lucid at all. I was like at some kind of a um it was like next to an airport or next to a beach and a resort or, and I was like going to sleep in there. And then the second layer was lucid. I was like playing like with those, you know, creating things, changing things and then coming out to the first layer but it was weird. Second layer was lucid but the first one wasn't. <laughs> And I just remember at one point coming out into that first layer and someone just being like, oh, we've basically given up on you now because I kept going back into that uh, second dream layer. <laughs> really? The, the other highly entertaining Inception style one was a few years ago during the uh, August holiday here where I, I woke up, went to the tea room. This is like an old style Japanese house, started to have breakfast and then woke up again <laughs> in my, you know, in the bed. Went to the tea room, started to have breakfast, and then woke up again. It happened like two or three times. It was completely insane. I think my body really? was basically just saying, get some more sleep. Don't get up yet. <laughs> yeah, that's that's strange because for me, like, it's hard for me to to relate to that sort of concept in a dream because I, you know, I always have like dreams that feel like I'm not anywhere near anything familiar to me. Like, it's very rare that I'll have a dream where I'm in like a place that I, that I know in my waking normal life and even people like, it's always usually just strange looking people that, that I cannot remember their faces for the life of me, but I'll have like, as I'm waking up, like kind of memories of like whole plots that took place, you know, in my dream and just with these characters that have no identities and so hearing that from you i'm like oh wow i'm a little jealous because i'm like i wonder i wonder if i've ever dreamt of like my house or or where i live now and and just don't remember it because yeah it's it's very rare i'll have like moments where i'll i'll have like that falling sensation uh and that'll kind of snap me into a lucid dream but that even that is is very like fleeting and and doesn't like i usually become aware that i'm looking at the room i'm in and it's not you know like the one or two times that that's happened i'll look at the room and then i'll be like oh i'm dreaming and then i'm out of it then i'm awake you know and that's like that falling sensation somehow associated with that so the the fact that he jumps out of a window and then you realize that the dream is done and it's it, you're back in like the actual therapy room as far as like you know the fourth wall goes it it was it was kind of like i thought that was another nod to it and then inception plays on that too with like the leaning back in the chair right they have to like get people to like have that sensation of falling to to kick them into that other into that other dream right right so yeah i, I guess i don't have the falling feel so much 
I do occasionally, um, you know, in the morning, I'll check, check the time or something, or even check the weather and realize that's not the real phone or that's not the real clock. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, see that, that even fascinates me too, like a phone interaction in a dream. And I wonder if it's just like, it could be, I mean, I, I think this is even like backed up by certain psychological studies on dreams that like different cultures uh, like experience dreams differently. So just the fact that you're like in Japan could have a totally different effect on your dreams just because of the, the architecture and like the layout and like subtle things about the place you're in that are different to like maybe a place like America, which has a little more, I mean, I'm, I've never been to Japan, so I can't do a direct visual comparison, but uh, I would assume things are a little more ornate and beautiful there. And that might add to a, a, a richer dreamscape. It depends on what direction you're looking, because there's lots of power lines, for example. <laughs> they don't bury any of the power lines. Like your nice view of the mountains invariably has a power, power line somewhere in it. Of course, everything is okay. much more close. But yeah, I mean, there's not like litter on the streets. You know, I'm from Atlanta. You can at least, yeah, you can find some parts of Atlanta that are not particularly nice looking. <laughs> So yeah. my dreams, I, you know, of course, I end up back in the old neighborhood, right? So um, I had a highly, you know, I was just walking down the street once. It wasn't lucid. And then like a snake jumped into my face. So which has, must have its own meaning of some kind. Snakes and dreams are usually I, worthy. <laughs> yeah, I can say that some of my most memorable kind of wake ups, that falling sensation happened after like seeing a snake at, at, or like a crocodile uh, in a dream. I'm looking back now on my Patreon because you are kindly one of our patrons and I gave you a spirit animal name and I'm like, hey, was it something to do with I, snake? No, I, I saw that it was the luminous moth. No, no, the humorous, <laughs> humorous moth. Oh, okay. I must, must have seen the L as an H. Humorous is good too, though. <laughs> yes, but, right. Yeah, on. I, I did catch that. So, you know, well, you I think. I think, you know, the cat lady theme comes up, you know, in this show or in this episode uh, with Maya, you know, this kind of like, it's more than just a femininity. It's like a wild, almost animalistic, like lower consciousness, feminine energy. Uh, and I found that kind of interesting because like we just touched on animals are a very powerful uh, dream symbols you know so the fact that she appears in this kind of like cat outfit and then i think she's out of the outfit when she comes and meets him like when he runs away like i don't know if she's dressed the same the whole time but either I way it's, she changes uh out right <clears throat> yeah she shows up looking very catty and gets a little less so i believe once we're rolling around the amusement park yeah yeah and they're on, and then they're on like the the roller coaster which you know, with amusement parks in mind, it's interesting because I think Walter Bosley uh, put this in his book about Disney that it's possible that the, the Ferris wheel in certain amusement parks, like the original Disney uh, World, is it Disney World or Land? That's the first one. I don't remember. But either way, they sorry. Oh, Land is the first one. Thank you. So Disneyland had like this, uh, this carousel that would or not a carousel i'm sorry a ferris wheel and apparently according to some theorists and, and walter bosley is one of them 
the the ferris wheel is some kind of energy conductor if it's placed in a correct in a correct alignment with certain uh earth energies so just the amusement park itself is also kind of a, a significant uh not setting but you know even like energetically a setting like in a dream or even as a you know i don't know if rod sterling had all that info i you know it might have just been like i said before like a uh, kind of like an exciting place to run into someone like that in those times but it's interesting how with all this tartaria talk that's been going on i've definitely participated in it on my show amusement parks seem to be a another like strange place for many different reasons not just uh you know the typical carnies and and oddities that would come along with that kind of thing we were um i was talking about world fairs um a few weeks ago with a with a guest and we were coming from like kind of the star trek perspective right so we were like you know just talking about what's predicted in the past what's now but um getting back to the 1893 that is the first ferris wheel the 1893 chicago world's fair which um uh you know th that's the one if, if you want to play with the tataria ideas that's a good one you could also just say they broke a whole lot of labor laws so i don't know <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah it is interesting because they had in the back of that 93 world's fair like the first large ferris wheel so uh built by the dude whose name was ferris or engineered right. or whatever so that, that's kind of interesting i guess to to look into deeper um i've been to a dream amusement park or two in my past <laughs> uh most memorable I, I i think there actually is a tron roller coaster now but i rode an insane tron roller coaster in my dream you know so now i just yeah. had i just had fun with that one because maybe because i don't have a heart condition um Although my most standout memory is finishing the ride and then sitting on a park bench outside. That is a weird thing that occurs. I keep ending up in, a, you know, park benches and like, you know, well manicured lawns for some reason in my dreams. So <laughs> I guess interesting. better than the fires of hell or something. So um, <clears throat> dream entities. I've, I've met a few what probably like what you might say, higher vibrational ones that actually seem to teach and, and things. So I had one show up a few times and then i actually say okay i'm i'm going now after several dreams and the first lesson like really pushing the idea of uh intention and focus like before i'd read anything but you start reading books and they keep saying that over and over again anyway so you know was, i, I yeah. learned it in a dream then i read about it so that was pretty trippy and some of the lower entity ones you know i've uh i have had nightmares where i just kind of like hey there's something here like trying to mess with me and uh, a few times I'll, I'll realize it's a dream, wake up, and then go back into the dream to go deal with it. <laughs> I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm not going to just let that be. I, I, can, I can wrap up the situation. <laughs> Jeez, you got a lot going on, man. You got to start recording this somehow. I am recording this. We're, we're recording now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I do keep a log, you know. Um, yeah, I was going to ask if that... Because that seems to be a, a helpful tool to to you know visualize and remember your dreams better. Yeah, that's why I have like such good recall on uh, some of these ones I'm bringing up. If I hadn't written them down, I probably would not be able to recall them. So, um, right. And for anyone that's, I'm a slacker. I think the last time I made a full entry was like six months ago. I've I've had several dreams and just um, you know, 
<clears throat> I did put a little notebook next to my bed. So I found just writing three words or something. You wake up and you can't be bothered with sitting there and writing five paragraphs. But if you just write a couple words, um, that will usually open the door for a full recall later if you need it. Like you can come back like, like actually, I, I think I can do this in real time. And uh, I think I just wrote four words for a dream about a week ago. Let's see what I can make out of this. I wrote new mall, jester sign, classroom with annoying teacher and a low gate. Okay, yes, I remember. I was in a town and it was uh, like like kind of like middle age looking streets, but you know more mo like more technically advanced, right? And I ended up in a classroom and there's like big wooden gate and there's a teacher there and we we're trying to get through the gate. So that I'm I'm a teacher, so I don't know what that means, but uh <laughs> And eventually, this is because I had just seen the Dune movie. So it was like right after the new Dune came out. But uh, yeah, like someone like threw like a like sleeper gas bomb, right? So, you know, I just wrote no. four words, but I just got like all of that just from the couple words I wrote. So, well, I on the note of like throwing the sleeper gas bomb, because like this brings to mind like dreams I would have because I used to be. I don't want to say I was a bad kid, but I definitely was like a rough kid in the sense that like me and my friends would do like, you know, BB gun fights and, and like firework fights and like all kinds of stuff that's not recommended by me for any kids to do. Uh, but I remember like after I kind of got out of that more like unorganized sort of uh, violent expression and started doing martial arts, I would have these dreams where I would be in these situations like the ones with the BB guns and the fireworks, but then like, it would be like a fight and the fight would come. And for whatever reason, and I think this is like a common thing, like uh, professional fighters talk about is like, you have like rubber, rubber arms, you know, and like in your dreams, I always thought of it as like, well, obviously there's no like physical feeling because when you're studying martial arts, you get used to what a punch feels like, you know, in your mind, you have a sort of kinesthetic memory of what it feels like. So when you punch in a dream and you don't feel that body response that you're used to feeling, I, it like alters your dream so that you're losing the fight. Right. And that would happen to me all the time. And I realized like, because I, I told that somebody and and the the reason i bring up the professional fighter thing is because this teacher uh not the my sifu but like a, a more advanced sort of uh can you know peer student he was like yeah you know a lot of professional champion uh fighters talk about having dreams where they lose the fight before a big fight you know it's like a, a nervous kind of thing maybe that's why you know i wasn't it wasn't a problem i was just bringing it up because it was something to talk about but that was his explanation for it but i always thought of it as like well maybe you know because it's it's a dream there's no that physical response isn't there and then my mind however it is in that space feels the lack of that sensation and then interprets it as like, Oh, you didn't even hurt the person that you just hit, you know, like that punch sucked, you know, like, and then your hand like goes like into rubber or something. And you're like, Oh, I'm dreaming. <laughs> yeah. Hand check is one of the, uh, one of the, the tips for finding your lucid dreams. I got dragged mm. back into not, I shouldn't say drag cause I love playing the cello, but I hadn't played a cello for 11 years. And then the local orchestra dragged me back in. So the day before the first rehearsal, 
I just had a dream. It was like in a blue misty space, kind of like a, a color twilight zone sort of vibe. And uh, I was just practicing, you know, it was the one I had loaned to me 11 years before, which had like a buzzy string. So I was like, okay, I got to compensate for the fact that there's this buzz. I'm like working on the dream. Now, fortunately, I went to the practice the next day. And the one they are loaning me now is fantastic. It has no problems. So, <laughs> mm. but I, I, well, and, and that's something to be mentioned because, you know, when we take on these skills, our dreams are kind of informing where we can go with it. I think when you're really tapped into something like, playing the cello and, and have a relationship with it on that kinesthetic level, you, you do tend to dream about it. I remember when I made a lot of like these wire wrap jewelry pieces that I have right here, like uh, crystals and whatnot. Sometimes I would have like weird dreams where, you know, certain wire shapes would just be like in my dream, you know, I would like see the pattern, you know, of what I might do next. And, and that was like, Oh, okay. I'm, I'm connecting with that. I haven't had any podcast related dreams. So maybe I need to level up and we'll see, but, Oh, actually, now that I say that though, it is weird. Somebody hit me up on Instagram, a buddy who's also a patron, actually shout out to him. Uh, I forget his spirit animal name off the top of my head, but he reached out to me. He was like, Hey man, the weirdest thing happened. I had a dream about you and you're in my dream. And, you know, I woke up, I told my wife, like, you know, Mark was in my dream. And then she like said something weird and he realized that he was still dreaming. And like, I was still there. Like, and I'm like, you hadn't like, I was in your dream. Like, okay, this guy's listening to my podcast a lot, which I, I encourage that. Thank you for listening to, to the podcast. But I wonder like, you know, if there's something to that, like you listen to something enough and it, it really just like seeps into your subconscious somehow. Yeah, I have excitedly told people about my other layer dreams and dreams. And then I'm like, and then I forget it when I wake up. I'm like, I was like, oh, I'll remember I told it to someone in the dream. Oops. <laughs> you know, and on full disclosure, sometimes I wake up like mentally playing like match three games in my head, too. So it's not always like um, <laughs> spiritually mm. advanced or anything. It's because then you're like, oh, man, I was playing too many video games the day before. <laughs> I see. So. That certainly happens. But yeah, I guess, it, you know, the thing you do a lot shows up in there. And just to dovetail back to this episode, this guy worries so much. That's all his dreams can be worries, you know, um, the thing that kind of depresses me here. And I, I guess is sort of what Rod Serling's getting at. I, well, his is more about the whack situation, I suppose. But, uh, you know, the whole point that this guy could pro is probably in a good position to actually take hold of his dreams. And, actually, you know, if he learned to control them, then he would be quite a uh, detailed experienced dreamer so the op he's getting an opportunity and and it, you know but it ends up killing him mm. yeah no he definitely has like this sense of like you know you're almost confused when this the show or the episode starts because you know he seems to have like almost like an oracle quality to him uh that's the impression i got when he's talking about like, oh, I can't go to, I can't go to sleep. Like these things that I'm seeing, like, you know, maybe this is just my bias and all the other things I'm researching, but I got the idea that he had some kind of like brilliant, uh, brilliant thing about him. I don't think they remembered what he did for work or anything like that. Uh, if they really, you know, colored his character more than just what you saw in the dream, uh, like, you know, background, his background or whatever, but 
it definitely felt like he had that kind of uh dreamer quality but a, a distressed dreamer you know even in his uh even before they got into the dream sequence part of the episode but yeah like like i mentioned uh, not too long ago waking up from a nightmare and then going back mm-hmm. and almost being like man i could just leave that behind but i'm like i i think i want to resolve that you know it was 6 30 mm-hmm. in the morning just just the right time to do that so i did so <laughs> wow but, uh, you know just uh you know, I, I, because you wake up with that feeling, you know, because that what what the feeling it gives you is more important because, you know, a dream is mostly things you can't really comprehend. So your brain's just making a narrative out of it and trying to find imagery that fits to have it make sense to you. So right. you know, there's all, all that going on. Um, I want to throw out a few questions. I throw these out on every episode. Um, sometimes it's a little obvious. Sometimes it's not quite as obvious, but the first question is uh, who in this episode was in the twilight zone? I, I guess the easy answer would be Edward Hall, our main character. Of course, we have the psychiatrist as well. And we have the office lady who looks like Maya. So I, I guess they could be candidates. What do you think? Right. No, I would say all three. And then there was that whole crowd of men that were also standing kind of in the periphery, uh, the extras, if you will that were kind of there in the dream. But yeah, there were only three characters in the whole thing, really, other than those extras. And I would say that by all extensive purposes, Edward and Maya were in the dream, in the twilight zone. And the psychiatrist was like this, like in between space where like he was like an anchor to what, Edward thought was his waking life. And that was kind of like his, his like indication. Oh, okay. I'm not dreaming anymore. And then he jumps out the window and we realize that he is dreaming, you know, like that, the, you know, the therapist almost took him. Is it a therapist? Would he be more of like, I think they called him a psychiatrist in those days, right? Like a shrink. That, that's what the, I said, but um, I still get the psychiatrist, psychologist uh, dynamic right. mixed up. So he might have been one or the other. <laughs> well, even that chair was odd. Like it was like a pill shaped leather, uh, like flat sofa that he laid on. It almost seemed like a, like it was meant for someone to die on in a way, you know, it just, it just fit his body too perfectly. But either way, it was... Uh, yeah, it was it was definitely Edward and Maya who I would answer were in the Twilight Zone for sure. I guess I'd call Maya of the Twilight Zone. If the Twilight mm. Zone is, a, is an illusion, then you can make even a uh, yeah make that line a little stronger. I guess. Um, the next question is: Did Edward deserve his trip into the Twilight Zone? Of course, this one kills him. So as you know, <laughs> maybe yeah, no. Nobody deserves that. So I don't think we know enough background information on him. Like we, for all we know, he could be like a, a dismissed like cult leader who did a bunch of crazy stuff. Like we don't know his character background. I'm only saying that because I just listened to an episode of Tinfoil Hat about a cult leader. But <laughs> but yeah, it's like you know, it it, it could be anything. I mean, I don't want to say anybody should die no absolutely not but he definitely is a mysterious character so we don't know like why he's we never really find out other than that like you know um 
I'm calling it a prescription or diagnosis is the better term. Other than his diagnosis from his doctor, we don't really have a lot of like clues to go on as to what put him in this distressed state. You know, he could be a veteran. He could be, you know, working a, a hard job like all or he could have a, a, you know, a rough family life or whatever it is, you know. So that that kind of unless I'm forgetting something, I think that kind of puts me in the in the category of being like, eh, I'm a little agnostic on on whether he deserved it or not. Yeah. And also what when we meet him, he's been awake for like 72 hours or something. And no right. one's gonna be that um coherent at 72 hours of, of being awake. I got a friend uh back in university where um he had the flu and the medicine apparently kept him up. The medicine they gave me like couldn't go to sleep. So he was awake for like two days. Then oh, wow. another, someone in the dorm comes in and um, puts on a vent horizon and he's still terrified of Sam Neill, I believe. <laughs> I've Sam had uh, <laughs> I've had a few nights like that that turned into days and you're up for 48 hours and you just feel like, you know, there's a huge weight on your shoulders and you hit that bed and it's like the best relief ever. And then you wake up. And you're like, what time is it? And it's like totally off hours from your normal wake up time. Yeah, definitely. Again, I don't recommend anybody <laughs> using me as role model, but acid will do that to you. <laughs> right. Um, and that's a good segue into the next question, which is I like to place uh, the episodes onto the, the tripometer, zero being not trippy at all. Five being extremely trippy, uh, decimal points are okay. I have one guest, regular guest who likes to make up numbers. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, well, think... uh, oh, go ahead. I would give it a thir- uh, 3.3 just because it hit on some magic spots. So it deserves a three. It was it was mild, but based on some of the other episodes I watched that were very close in uh, number to that uh, in order uh, of the season, season one, I think, you know, yes, it wasn't written by Rod Sterling. Uh, I haven't seen any of this Mr. Beaumont guy's other work, but I definitely I, I wouldn't I wouldn't put it on as one of my favorite episodes for sure. I mean. There was a couple better ones pretty close to it um, that I was like, oh, I should have picked that one instead. But I didn't know if you had uh, already, you know, worked it out with other people. So I'm like, well, you got to, you know, you get what you get type thing. So I definitely give it like a medium rating. Uh, And it was it was a thought provoking episode. I think synchronistically, uh, I always find a connection somehow for everything. You know, I don't know if that says anything about my mindset, but I definitely saw some parallels with uh, with like just this whole thing with authority, you know, medical authority in particular, given that it was a doctor who, again, diagnosed him to be, you know, uh, I forget exactly what he said, but he it was it seemed like it kept that was what kept him up for that 72 hours and then he's like no no my doctor said i can't have too much excitement you know and he's like getting all upset about that so yeah uh three three out of 3.3 out of five i'll go a little bit higher to 3.7 simply because i'm a theme i i in the past i was a complete theme park obsessive like researching information about theme parks right so just mm. having that nice trippy theme park, I think, bumps it up just a touch for me. 
Okay. Um, as as we're winding down this one, I'm I'm kind of curious which episodes around this really uh, lit your fire. Well, I like the one about the X-22 pilots who disappeared one by one, and they're all kind of like realizing it uh, in an unsettling way. You know, uh, the, okay. the, uh... the guy, Harry, uh, or Ed Harrington, and then I forget the, the second guy who disappears, but then the last guy disappears, and, you know, you see the the military officer come in and he's like, Oh, look, the room's clear. You know, we got room for three more patients in here. And it's like, they were never there and neither was the plane. It goes back to the hangar. But I just thought, I think they called it the X two. I don't know if so, they called something it like that. I did watch that one about two weeks ago and um, I'll yeah. be watching it actually in the next few evenings because I am recording that one for Monday. So <laughs> that one was cool with the, you know, just because of the relation to like all the, you know, military craft that's out there. And then the the other one that I already mentioned, which I really liked was the, you got what you need where it was kind of like, or, or what you need was the yes, title of yes. the episode. The little old man. And he has like a box full of, odd little trinkets and knickknacks and things and and you know he what he lines up yeah he lines up this little synchronicity and you you don't see it right away but then this guy catches on and it doesn't end up good for him at the end i'll just say that but i thought it was interesting like he hands him the scissors you've seen this one so you might know what i'm talking about yeah he hands him the scissors in a way that i thought the old man was defending himself but the guy interpreted it as like, oh, okay, this guy, the scissors are what I need. And he did end up needing the scissors. But it was interesting how the old man was like kind of um, saving his life when he could have killed him like multiple times. It seemed like like there was multiple chances for that to happen. So he was holding the handle and giving it like blade out, was it? Yeah, well, he was, yeah, he was holding the handle like on this side of his palm so that like the blade out was like kind of like up towards his face and like like against his chest. Yeah, almost like he was handing it to him, but it was like in between the two of them, like, you know, pointing towards the guy's face. Right. And the older man was shorter, so it was kind of like reaching up towards him. But I just it's like, you know, you don't hand somebody scissors blade first. You hand it to them, you know, the other way around with the handle. Right. So I I thought I took that as like a subtle like self-defense act because, you know, you find this out later in the episode. I'm sure you'll talk about this uh, when you go in depth on it. But, you know, he senses that something's off with this guy who wants to know really badly what he needs. <laughs> it turns out that <laughs> yeah. he, he, did, he might not have bargained for exactly what happened. No, I was a boy scout once and yes, they, they teach you always uh, hand the sharp objects uh, with blade in your hand. So <laughs> right. Right. Um, I, yeah, the one for me uh, of these early ones that really uh, lit my fire so far is um, the lonely, which I actually did record a few mornings ago, which is um, the guy who's being kept in solitary confinement on an asteroid and is, is then gifted with a uh, robot woman. So mm. that was uh, I like that. One. Yeah, that was- I don't I didn't watch that recently, but I do remember that one. The the one I watched about the X2 that I forgot to mention the the part that I thought was interesting was when he's like, I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. And I'm like, oh, I got to clip that and use that for the, the podcast uh, outro. <laughs> Yeah, 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 definitely. I, th- I think I don't think cop actually copyright could still be there for that. I don't know. 
CBS. It shouldn't matter, but uh, even yeah. like little snippet clips like that, no, that can that's, hit copyrights. No, that's probably fine. No, I'm just thinking that usually something from 1960 you can like just use wholesale. You know, but oh I think yeah, the Twilight Zone still is uh, a, a valued property by a uh, CBS or whatnot. So. <laughs> Yeah, I was looking into that with books and such so I can figure out if there's any cool esoteric books I can just kind of not narrate whole cloth, but like take passages and, and narrate for the podcast and break down, you know, what I think about or maybe explain some things that, you know, the novice might not understand because of context and other things that you run into when you read some of these more weird esoteric books. But yeah, the copyright it's usually preventing you from doing anything fun like that. So there's only a few books uh, that you can really dig into. I found not, not a few, but limit it's limited. Yeah. I just started reading a book about um, the creation of, uh, or the, the boom of Los Angeles as a city, but the fun, I, I decided I had to start reading it. I was on the train and I was, uh, was I wanted to read a new book. So I'm on my Kindle and like scrolling through and the train bumps and my finger just hits that one and goes straight into the book. I'm like, okay, I guess I'm reading this one now. <laughs> Look at that. Wow. Okay. So, Very cool. And uh, that's interesting because it starts off talking about the water rights, which I guess that's going to become an increasingly uh, big thing for a, a lot of places. And um, wow. Well, uh, you know, I, Chinatown has sort of kind of that story, but, you know, the actual story is quite interesting uh, with William Mulholland. Mulholland Drive, I suppose, is named after him. Uh, yeah. Then it gets into D.W. Griffith, basically starting Hollywood. So, you know, it is an interesting book. So I guess it's good the train bumps my finger on it. I was looking yeah. for something more esoteric, to be honest. But I was like, oh, now I'm reading about the history of Los Angeles. Okay. I'm sure that'll lead to a lot of esoteric things. I think that's something I learned really uh, all too well. And people do ask me sometimes like, oh, what book should I read? And I kind of just tell them, you know, well, whatever speaks to you, because sometimes you find like really esoteric information in a seemingly, you know, common or, or exoteric source, you know, like that history of Los Angeles is going to connect a whole bunch of dots, especially when you get into you know, what's gone on in Los Angeles since that's, you know, the founding of it, you know, I'm sure you can find. And that's just yeah. good. That's just good fun knowledge anyways. I mean, who doesn't like learning about other places? Exactly. And um, there's a few books that sounded completely nuts and whack, right? But I got, I think my main meditational techniques still come from those books. So the books sounded nuts, but you know, they'd get into these, well, why don't you try this, try this, I try them. I was like, hey, this does work. So it's almost like they had, who knows, it could all be real, but, or they were just like basically concocting a wild story and putting in some really as a, as a, uh, you know, entertaining wrapping for some notable information. Possibly. The, the notable information is notable. So it's almost like the rest of the book doesn't matter. So it was fun to read. So in multiple cases, I, I won't name names because I'm kind of talking smack about them, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, to okay. those writers, thank you because uh, it did still have some very necessary, helpful information. Um, we already mentioned your, your podcast a few times, but uh, let's, let me give you a chance to, for you to tell people how, how to get there. Yeah. My family right. thinks some crazy.com is uh where you can find the RSS feed and all the other links and the ways to support Linktree uh, slash MFTIC. And we're on Instagram and Rockfin and all the other 
fun places and and if you want to get a spirit animal name like my friend matt here join the patreon right as for this one it's time enough podcast uh we're on facebook twitter uh our patreon is under the podcasting umbrella of podcastio podcastius where you can also hear podcasts um about pokemon and monster hunter if that's your jam you won't hear me on those because that's not quite my jam but uh i do talk about sci-fi movies and matt and luke sci-fi sanctuary and caught and educational films at oral hygiene so come dig into that but uh yeah mark it's always good to talk to you about this stuff uh you know dreams in the title so even if it wasn't the number one episode it's definitely a good springboard for uh that sort of a conversation right on very cool love it yeah this was fun man thanks for having me i'm i mean this is season one so any other episodes that you want to have me on for please by all means send me a list i'd love to pick a few out that uh that i could then watch because i have the whole series on dvd and uh it's always a, a good excuse to to read or i mean watch something new and even read up on it too because i find myself going and and learning like little tidbits here and there about the the actors and what else going on so we'll see what happens next that's what i like because uh, you know it's an anthology so mm. it's like because if you're doing a series you, it kind of needs to be the same people every week right but if mm. an anthology show i can you know bring in anyone so I, I basically keep it to people i've talked to before for this one just because i i don't you know i want to get straight into some kind of a groove but uh yeah <laughs> right on 